This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast and a very special edition of the Royal Blue Podcast today. A bit of a special international break episode. We'll be talking about the big talking points from Goodison Park over the last seven days. We'll also be answering some of the questions you guys have been submitting on Facebook and Twitter today. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and I'm joined from the Liverpool Echo office on Old Horsley by Chris Beasley and dialing in Gav Buckland and Dave Prentice from his own personal bookshop down the bottom there. <laughs> well, we'll start this week, Bees, by Rafa Benitez continuing to make his mark on Everton. He's performed a, a behind-the-scenes review. Yeah. And the very well-liked and well-respected uh, director of medical services, Danny Donaghy, having his last day yeah. at Finch Farm. Seems like Rafa really keen to implement his own take on, on that medical team after some you know, high-profile injuries over the past few weeks. Yeah, as you said, I mean, Dan Donaghy is a very well-liked and well-respected member of the staff. He's had two spells at the club um, with a time with Aston Villa in between that as well. But yeah, been there on and off for, for a, a number of years. And of course, he's also the son of the former Everson assistant manager, Willie Donaghy, who was the uh, well-respected number two to Joe Royal back in the 90s. So yeah, it's a big Everton connection there with the family. And I'm sure everyone's um, sad to see um, Dan go. He had a very respectful, very uh, nice uh, message on uh, social media where he said goodbye and he didn't have a, a bad word to say, really. It was very... Uh, um, Nice the way the way he worded it was obviously it was um, this very disappointing time for him you know moving on from um, the club but yes yeah, seems to be uh, no room for sentimentality with Rafa and like we were saying um, on offer uh, earlier I suppose it's, it's a bit easier isn't it to get rid of somebody from the staff than one of the players if one of the players is um, seems to be underperforming or not yeah. doing what you require you can't just um, show them the the exit door but it's obviously a bit different with your staff and Rafa's bringing in his own people we've already had. Uh, you know, he's brought in his own backroom staff and then there's been changes there with the medical guy coming in who he'd worked with at Newcastle United previously. So he wants his own people in there. And, uh, yeah, it's been concerning. I don't think he can pin the blame at any one individual uh, when it comes to Everton's injuries. But it, it is frustrating the way things have, have gone with the number of players they've had um, out um, on the sidelines in, in recent months. And, uh, yeah, it's just an, another example of uh, Rafa uh, bringing in his own staff who he wants there. You spent some time at Finch Farm with, with Rafa a few weeks back, Dave. Is that the impression you got of, of a manager who wants to, to make his mark on the club kind of in, in every area? Yeah, 100%. He was very, very frustrated at the uh, the number of injuries the club had sustained this season. And uh, he earmarked a little responsibility for that on recruitment. I mean, uh, players who are brought in with injury records, you know, we shouldn't be massively surprised that you know they've continued to get injured but equally there have also been players who've been recruited who had solid records you know so prior to being bought thinking of Jean-Philippe Gabamin who had like a good record you know so his previous clubs uh, and just seems to have been very very unfortunate you know, since he's been at Everton but Rafa made it clear that he wanted to improve all departments of the club everywhere across the board small incremental improvements you know in as many places as possible to hopefully try and drive a big improvement and it seems like uh, the fitness department is an area that you know he is earmarked. And Danny Donnock, he is a very, very popular fella at the football club. You know, so Leighton Baines is uh, very close to him. A number of the players are uh, very popular and has been very successful. 
Uh, but it looks like, you know, Rafa, someone's got to be a scapegoat, you know, so in all of this. And it appears to me like, you know, he's the head of the department, therefore, you know, so he's carried the can. That may seem harsh, but, you know, so Rafa is quite unforgiving. I mean, he did something similar at Newcastle. He did it very successfully as well. Uh, he made changes uh, in his first full season there and had significant success as a result. I think um saw some this morning said reported problems were down 40% uh, in that first full season, where the total number of days lost to injuries was down by a huge number, 62%. And uh, the number of absences through muscular-related strains was the lowest recorded on Tyneside since it actually began collecting data. So the changes that he made were clearly very, very successful. We can only hope that the changes he's introducing at Everton will be similarly successful. But equally, you can't help but feeling a little bit of sympathy for Danny uh, because, you know, like you say, he's been successful in the past. He's been a very, very successful, uh, you know, so head of uh, fitness and he's a very popular man. But like, you know, football as ever, there's no room for sentiment. And it appears that, you know, so somebody's carried the can and it looks like it's him. It does seem like a, a ruthless decision, Gav, but one, do you think looking in from the outside, one that had to happen? Well, only Rafa knows that, doesn't he? I mean, I'm not yeah. the, the expert on, you know, how, how these things operate. Um, but we've all shared frustration having me over players being out injured, players being out injured for longer than what was really anticipated, having to coin one of Rafa's favourite phrases, re-injuries. Um, yeah, I, you, you suspect that 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 he spoke to you the other week, didn't he? It was that that about a month ago that everybody needs to improve five percent. Um, you get the impression that maybe he's given an opportunity for that, and people are having to improve by five percent. Sorry, um, so I, I get that, and I also do work that Spanish coaches tend to work differently, don't they? Like the medical and coaching side don't are not separate; they tend to be together. And I'm just wondering whether that's got something to do with it. The other one, which was intrigued me was that the thing it was sort of like an add-on about other medical staff have had their being demoted or had their opportunities you know their their job roles looked at again yeah which i found just as much intriguing so it's obviously not just danny donachy that he's um targeting there's obviously he feels that there's an issue there with the wider medical team and that there's, there's, there's everybody's under scrutiny, which I would welcome. Everybody's, you know, when somebody comes in, think if they scrutinise things, they check them, and people, in their opinion, aren't doing it, doing what they should be doing properly, then I've not got a problem with that. Um, just be incessant. The, the, the other thing I said, he, he pointedly said, I think when Delph was injured, that come, he obviously he's, he's reasonably fit. He, he congratulated. Is it Fernandez, the fitness coach on his work yeah. with them, didn't he? Yeah. At the weekend, which I thought was message now, doesn't it? Point yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so maybe the writing was on the wall for, for a while, to be honest with you. So I've got not got a problem with it. If fully understand if you're a new manager and unhappy why you'd want to take that decision. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, while that Danny's Everton journey has, uh, has ended for now, be someone whose career really seems to be taken off over the last couple of weeks. Anthony Gordon called yeah. up by Lee Carsley for the England under 21 squad for the first time, and yeah. two goals on his debut. A, a really caps what's been a, an impressive start to the season for him, and also the unusual feat of 
scoring for your country before your club. Yeah, like we're saying, um, Anthony Gordon, you know, he's played a number of games now, both um, Everton and Preston North End on, on loan now. I think we've just been totting it out for Totting it up for a Royal Blue column in, in the morning, and I think he's he's probably played over twenty seven hours in total for, for Everton and Preston at club level, and still yet to score. But yeah, some just four minutes for England under twenty ones under the guidance of uh, obviously uh, former Everton fans' favourite Lee Carsley out there at Turf Moor. Again, I mean decent Czech side who were top of the group as well, and then it just took them another seven minutes to double his tally. So it's been a dream start for the youngster, and that sort of carries on from the progress that he's made. For Everton this season, um, see, last year he didn't play much at all. He was knocking on the manager's door early on when he didn't get into the uh, the squad for the first game of last season. Carlo said he loved that sort of attitude from Anthony, but then subsequently didn't go on to pick him much and sent him out on loan <laughs> to Preston. Tell him, tell him fibs. Yeah, well, you wouldn't well, expect it, would well, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ronald Koeman with manners, I've uh, reappraised him as. But yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, Anthony, this season's been much more of a breakthrough for Anthony, and uh, there's been a growing clamour from the fans for him to get more opportunities. Had that hard-working shift impressed when he got the start at Manchester United, and many thought he was unfortunate not to be picked for the subsequent home game against um, West Ham. But yeah, he's, he's you know ticking a few boxes now. That was his first ninety minutes, I believe. Premier League level against Tottenham at the weekend and he's followed that up with those first senior goals of, of his career. Like you said, strange that he scores for his country before his club, but just hopefully he can he can add that to his game now forever. And because then he, you know, he would be becoming more of the complete package if he adds goals to his game, because obviously he's an attacking minded player. And you know, it's that commodity of having those goals and assists. You you need to have something tangible in that respect to, to your game. And yeah, if he can do that, you know, he's only gonna boost his chances. As you know, Preno uh a goal scorer yourself, it's, it's the hardest thing <laughs> to do in football, but it's, it? It has, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been something Everton have definitely been been lacking, isn't it? Or kind of a, a lot of the, the modern Premier League era, a, a real goal scoring winger. If, if Anthony can kind of add that side to his game, they, they undoubtedly have a real talent on the hands. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought goal scoring is not something you can coach i mean there are so many things in football that you can you know you can work on and improve but for a lot of people it's just like something natural that you know you know you either got it or you haven't ian russell always used to talk about that you know so asking what went through his head you know so when he was like closing in on goal and he couldn't tell you it was just like some kind of you know natural movement and natural instinct i've had players like that at everson you know so who fitted that bill Andy King is one who, you know, so comes to mind. He was just an absolute natural goal scorer. You know, you probably couldn't tell you how he did it. But Anthony Gordon gets into the right positions. I mean, there are a couple of occasions against Tottenham, you know, so where he was in and around the edge of the box and, you know, the slightly better connection, you know, so it might have done better. Sometimes it is just a confidence thing. I mean, I mentioned Ian Rush before, and he had a spell at the start of his Liverpool career, which, you know, he went several months without scoring goals. And it was Bob Paisley that told him he had to be, you know, so basically greedier in front of goal. And once he'd like absorbed that message, you know, so you know the goal started to flow. So maybe something similar for Anthony Gordon. It just needs like that little bit of a confidence boost of you know, so seeing one go in, and suddenly they will start to you know, so flow more regularly. So yeah, I've got high hopes that you know he can become you know a goal scoring winger. Uh, he's got a decent shot on him. Some of the goals we've seen him score for the under twenty threes have been you know incredible. You know, so a group, group great finishes at the end of like long mazy dribbles. You know, so he can clearly do it. 
So yeah, fingers crossed. Maybe with a little bit more confidence, and you know, like uh, Chris said, it's a decent side that you know you got a couple of goals against. It wasn't you know the uh, gimmies against Andorra under twenty ones or something like that. You know, so they, they were good high profile goals. So fingers crossed, he'll come back with his confidence, you know, sort of booming, and can add that little bit of an extra you know sort of string to his bow. So yeah, you know, so quite heartened to see that, and you know, so fingers crossed, it will be something that we can see more from you know, from him. I was speaking to someone at Everton a couple of weeks ago, Gavin. We were kind of talking about the, the academy, and in recent years, Tom Davies and John Joe Kenny both became first team squad members. But we haven't really had anyone to, you know, you're looking back at your Wayne Rooney's and your Ross Barkley's and, and the kind of excitement that were around them too when they first broke onto the scene. And, you know, the Everton figure did say, you know, it shows how good. They were at such a young age, you know, they were 16, 17 years old. Anthony is a, a little bit older than that, but do you do you think he is someone who, who can really push on to become a, a regular first team player for Everton? Yeah, absolutely. Push on. Um having said that, I have this theory that if you're gonna break in as a Premier League player from the Academy, you're gonna stand up to a mile in the academy and sort of miss that. 18 to 21 development, you're going to be in and around the first team at 18, 19, playing basically every week. I just, I, I think it's, it's very unusual for somebody to, and there are late developers, for people to come in at 21, haven't been in playing in the academy for three, four years and, and, and fitting in straight away. Um, but to be fair, Anthony, I, I, I think what I'd say about him this season is I'm not interested in his goal scorer at this moment in time. I'm interested in just his offensive play because the two or three times he's played a lot of minutes, Man United away in Spurs, he's played a, a quite disciplined defensive role within within the team, within the team yeah. structure. Um, what I'm looking for Anthony as the next stage of his development is to show that offensive play as a winger, you know, to be creative, to be show skill, show a bit of flair, um, to be able to break down opposition defences. That's his next challenge for me. Um, in some respects, the Man United Spurs games, yeah, setting aside the opposition, he's playing in a very disciplined way where he can just be coached, you stand there at all times and support the right back and all this type of stuff. What I'm interested to see is whether he can show that creative side uh, consistently. Um, for me, I still think he needs to bulk up a little bit. Um and then we can talk about his goal scoring after that. <laughs> so plenty of development there for him. I'm not, I'm not saying he can't do it. What I'm saying is it's quite unusual, isn't it, for somebody to come in at, at that age and stand out. And normally if you stand out, you, if you're standing out at 18, 19, and we know the type of players in the Premier League are like that. Well, Preno, I just want to come back to you to kickstart our... Q&A session, but a lot of fans today have been asking us about the... There's a graphic going around on social media. I'm sure you've seen it. That is basically from some new research that is weighing up how much teams can spend yeah. uh, with financial fair play. Financial fair play wiggle room, it's called, and Everton quite comfortably the lowest with a kind of concerning minus 35 million estimate. I don't really know how that's even possible, but can you give us a little bit more optimism on that front? Well, I can only tell you Everson's official response to that because uh, I got, got a message from them literally about five minutes ago. 
uh, pointing out that report. Uh, it was a report done by Liverpool Uni about financial fair play and um, just asking whether we were considering uh, following a version of it up. And if so, just pointing out it's a long way wide of the mark. An actual quote from them says, we obviously can't say what our budgets are for transfers in January or the summer, but we want to do advise, advise against picking anything up from those numbers, certainly from an Everton perspective, which suggests that, you know, we have got a bit more than they are suggesting. Um, you know, you, you hear different things all the time. I mean, Rafa is constantly asking Farhad Mashiri so how much money he will have to spend in January. And Farhad, as we know, in the past has always been, you know, as, as generous as humanly possible. Uh, with his managers but he's urged caution and you know he doesn't want to be falling foul of financial fair play and you know he's basically trying to find out himself you know how much he could physically be allowed uh, to spend as ever it depends on how much we can get off the books you know so in january we did a fair bit of that you know so in the summer if we can add to that again i mean cheng toaston for argument's sake is a very big earner at the football club you know so he's not being used at the moment if we can move him on that would certainly be a step in the right direction so, yeah, I mean, Rafa will want to bring in you know, new faces in January. He'll want to spend money, but don't be uh, listening to wriggle room figures that look like they're being worked out on the back of a fag packet. <laughs> the moment, so. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's, it's a strange beast, financial fair play, because it does very mm. much sometimes seem to be one rule for one and one rule for another. Yeah, a lot of it is. I mean, I did a piece over the summer, didn't I? And um, with Sean Maguire, and he was explaining a lot of it is depends on how much you actually earn as well. So the likes of Manchester City with the revenues they got from the Champions League run and um, obviously with the money they make on the match day and then uh, the money they also made in the transfer market from the sales of their own players because we saw obviously across the park. I mean, there's a lot of money to be made with just selling off your players who were surplus to requirements on certain occasions. But... Whereas um, Everton have struggled to do that. I mean, yet other clubs have actually built up a lot of um, revenue, which is able to to do that. And yet, certainly back in the summer, Everton were really a, a sort of um, squeezing point in terms of, um, like, the, to use that infamous phrase again, that the wriggle room they really didn't have yeah. very much. But that could have been all different if Hamas Rodriguez had been sold before the transfer window shut up. See, the, the, the British transfer window, he, he was subsequently... Sold later on, wasn't he? When out um, after our window had, had, had shut, but yeah, I mean, it's not just in the fees, as like we say, it's also in the wages as well. So, I, I would think that given that Hammers has now been sold, there, there certainly there's, there is a bit of money there. Certainly not in minus. Um, they they will have something to spend, but I think they're still probably maybe another couple of years away potentially from really freeing up those sort of major funds again, which is obviously frustrating for the. Benitez coming in, he's just got to make his money go um, a long way and get more bang for his buck. I mean, the two ma- um, main players that he did sign in the summer then didn't cost too much. Andros Townsend, obviously, in a free transfer, and Damari Gray for less than two million. So it shows you that you know there is potential out there to get sorts of players who are effective without necessarily spending the big money all the time because that's what's got Everton in, in trouble in the past. If you know they spent too much on players who just don't give them that sort of value for money. Gav Noel Hopper has asked, has followed up on on rumours that have came out this week. Lincoln Ross Barkley will return to Goodison Park and asked, would you take him back at Everton? Yes or no? Give us your, show us your working out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have we got wriggle room to uh, get Ross Barkley? 
according yeah. to piano we have. So yeah. <laughs> sell 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 Vitalis and buy Ross Barkley. Mm. Yeah. Um my my first instinct is no. I don't know where you're playing for the start. Um We've just spoken about financial fair playing finances. He'd be on a good contract at, at Chelsea. You know, five, six a million pounds a year. deal till the end of the season. We, we are struggling for midfielders at the moment, Gav. Yeah, it depends what you're talking about having back. Having back for a loan deal or having back for, you know, to the end of a Chelsea contract, which I think is next year. Or buy him. I don't know. Loan deal. Well, there's no harm in a loan deal, is there? Till the end of the season. Is that but... Been down this road before, haven't we, with some players, and it's never worked. I think we had. You remember, like McFadden came back to the club, didn't he? Oof. You know, he came on in the four-four at Old Trafford, I think, didn't he? Just justified his wages in that. Yeah, yeah. Gravison came back, didn't he? Uh, you're saying loan deal for the end of the season, maybe, yeah, but you don't know what other options are out there, do you? As Chris was saying, there may be some scope elsewhere, but. First inclination was no, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah. I'd rather explore other options. And I wonder where he'd, be, where he'd play in the team. Because if you say, hopefully we'll have Alan Decore back. Sam, you could only play Barkley, I think. But what has? In, in place of Damari Gray? Yeah. Maybe. Not sure. He hasn't got Gray's pace, has he? Um, he's, he's like a number... What is he, a number eight? Number 10, well, we got Takore doing that role, haven't we, to a degree? I don't know where he's fit in with the team. He'd had numbers in, but maybe he should be looking at something different. Possibly the most 50-50 answer, Gav Kulakane. He talked himself mm-hmm. into the loan move and then talked himself back out. It was a, a dithering yeah, Dave moment, that, wasn't it? No, not dithering Dave moments. I'm just, I'm just giving a full picture before Cast saying now. You cut, Sam. You cut me. You 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 put me on the spot with Mister on the hop with Mister Hopper's question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> How about you, Sam? Would you take him? I would. Long to the end season, Dave. I would. What are yeah. you? Um, midfield, as far as I, we, I can see at the we, moment. We, we, we've said we've said in previous pods that midfield is an area that we're lacking in. I'm just a bit concerned about another. You know, so unpopular recruitment, if you like. You know, so having you know, so gone through the problems in recruiting uh, an unpopular manager in the summer, we're now yeah. bringing a player back who gets booed every time he runs down the touchline at Goodison. So uh, no, I'm I'm a little bit wary about that one. And you know, he's, he's done okay. You know, so while he's been away, but he's okay well enough at the moment. You know, so we should be looking for a bit better than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm unsure about that. Uh, I just want to stick with you for this next one, Preno. I know you've you've got a good relationship with Unzi, a good relationship with uh, John Ebrell too, but there was a bit of a backlash the other week when it was confirmed that Jose Baxter now back on the Everton coaching staff. And yeah. Jimmy Murphy asked, why do we insist on employing ex-players as coaches? Are they the best available or have we become too sentimental for our own good? What do you think? It's, it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword, that one. I mean... Um... David Unsworth has proved to be very, very good at the job that he does, you know, uh, at the academy, which is why he's still there, which is why he's being promoted. Um, but I totally understand why, you know, people would get upset at so many people, you know, being recruited. I mean, it's not just Jose Baxter. I mean, Phil Jevons is a former player. Franny Jeffers, you know, was recruited, who's now moved on elsewhere. 
Yeah. And you can point out that A, they understand the club and they know what it means, you know, so to be an Evertonian and they're very, very passionate about the football club, which can be important. Are they the best for the particular job? Probably not, no, they probably are, you know, so, you know, better suited candidates elsewhere. If you were to, you know, so do your recruitment, you know, some more meticulously, um, you know, ideally best of both worlds, we can get a former player who is also very, very good at what he does, i.e. Lee Carsley, who's like now in charge of the under-21s and like, so it gets a great you know, reaction everywhere he works. Um, but I don't think he's ever expressed an interest in returning back to Everton. So it's a tough one to, to balance up, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand why some would get a little bit frustrated. But if you're saying, well, you know, if not Jose Baxter, who else? You know, who are these other, you know, mysterious characters that are, yeah. you know, very, very well qualified, that, you know, so deserve to get the job better than he does? I mean, I certainly don't have, you know, sort of the knowledge of people in the football world at large that are better qualified that could maybe do that job. You'd like to think that the people, you know, powers that be at Goodison do have, you know, sort of that knowledge. Uh, and it's why they, you know, sort of consider that when they actually do make those decisions. So that's a bit of a fudged answer, a bit of a Gavin answer there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's harsh. harsh. <laughs> the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You'd think, Dave, that we we are the only club who employs ex-players on the coach and stuff. It's sure. your clubs, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, say, look, I'm thinking the same Man United at the moment. Aaron Fletcher's director of football, isn't he? Yeah. You know, look, look who's been head of the academy at Anfield. You know, Steve Iway has, former player. Yeah. You know, Gerrard's worked there. I mean, Gary Ablett worked across both clubs, didn't he? Yeah. Played for both clubs. Brian Kidd in Manchester, played for both clubs. Hmm. Coached at both clubs. If you go, I would imagine if you go through the roster of coaches at every Premier League club, you'll see a smattering of former players on the coaching staff. Yeah, yeah. fair point. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think, I don't know whether it's, is it a selling point for academy players to have a former player there so they can say, you know, I'm coaching you, I succeeded here. So therefore, you know, getting into the first team, that type of stuff. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's that like a sort of good teaching point. But mm. the way, I, 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 get, I agree what Fran was saying, it may not necessarily be, be the, be the uh, best out there. The point I'm saying is, virtually every Premier League club does it. I, well, every Premier League club will have a smattering of coaches. I mean, Liam Brady was at Arsenal for years, wasn't he? Yeah. Had enough coaching there. I think, it, I think it's unfair to, to, to accuse the club of cronyism in this area when actually, in some respects, some you might argue it's good practice. And, and B, it obviously is because a lot of other clubs, virtually every other club does the same thing. Bees Bridget Bryson asks that after the summer spend, the total of less than two million in January at this stage, not exactly looking like we're going to go and splash the cash there. Are they? Mm. Is it time to seriously temper expectations? Do, do Everton need to consider that this could be a season where we just kind of have to knuckle down and accept we, we might even finish, you know, bottom half of the table and, and take the hit? I don't think that um, whether Everton finishing the bottom half of the table or not is dependent on who they uh, bring in or they don't bring in in January, because I just think that um, we sort of fall into this trap. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the time saying, oh, Everton are going to go after A, B and C in, in January. There's, there's seldom very good business to be done in January for anyone at, at, 
at any point in Oyos, you've got high-profile exceptions to that when people have played record fees. But you look at the sort of players Everton have brought in in, in January when, when Allardyce first got the job. I mean, he brought in Tosin and uh, Walcott. I mean, both, both of them underwhelmed. I mean, obviously, the, the best players tend not to be available at January. They only tend to become available if there's some sort of problem at their exit existing club or if you are yeah. trying to get somebody in you often end up paying a premium because of that and we've just spoken about the financial fair play ever and they're no longer in a position to be paying over the odds we don't want them to be doing that at any point but you know they just can't do it now even if they wanted to so i don't know i don't think january makes or breaks the season from my point of view um i would hope that yeah Everton have suffered with injuries unfortunate injuries in recent weeks, which has gone down the spine of the team, lost a top scorer with Calvert Lewin, Abdullah Decore had become a revelation in midfield. He's injured, and Yeri Mina, the most dominant centre back. So we've got those three big players down the centre of the pitch, and that that has hurt them. But I think there's more than enough quality within this squad to be uh, comfortably finishing in the top half of the table. I mean, they finished tenth last season when they totally fell away. They were second on Boxing Day. They were still. Fifth with a you know winning a game in hand to go fourth in March, yet they somehow finished tenth. So I know they've not spent a lot this summer, but to say that they can't finish in the top half because they didn't get anyone in January, I'm not too sure about that. I think that regardless of who they bring in or they don't bring in in January, I think this should be a top half of the table team at least whatever they've got at the moment. Well, we are on a, a slightly shorter podcast schedule today. We're People having other appointments after this. So, Gav, I'm going to come to you with the most serious question. For the final word from Martin Jameson, what's the best food experience you've ever had following Evan? What what ground is... I, I can tell you exactly what it is. Yeah, well, I knew um, this was a question for you. Yeah. Uh, FA Cup. Um, was it fifth round replay at Spurs in March 86? Had what the most delightful what? pie and chips. Wow. At the way end at Spurs before the game. 35 years later, I still salivate at the memory of it. <laughs> yeah, can I jump in there? I've got, I've got a few here. Uh, just trying to like rattle through as quickly as possible because there's so many good ones in the past. Berry, God rest their soul, where you can get pies with the peas actually under the pastry on the top. You know, so pork and pea pie, absolutely top class. I remember you tweeting us, Dave. Oh, something else. Bradford, when they were in the, uh, the Premier League, the curries they did at half time were absolutely awesome. You then go into the <laughs> match after the game and they put the gattos and all kinds on. That was like something else. Uh, Arsenal, as you all know, and going to Arsenal these days is just like a culinary experience. You get an absolute a huge smorgasbord of everything you could possibly want before the game. You then go in at half time and they try and force feed you fish and chips or pie and chips as well. It's just too much. And finally, when Everton were in the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1995, and I went to Reykjavik, KR Reykjavik, and uh, we were walking past a restaurant, about eight of us, and we saw on a blackboard a puffin. And we thought, no. They don't need puffin here, do they? So we went in, they do, they serve roast puffin. So we all ordered roast puffin. And if anyone here has ever had pigeon, maybe, similar to pigeon, but massively, massively richer, I can tell you of the eight people in our party, only one managed to finish their roast puffin. The rest left it. So if you ever see roast puffin on a menu, don't go there. <laughs> well, we're supposed to be doing the best here, weren't we? <laughs> well, to be, to be fair, I think I think Martin's opened a, a, a can of worms. I think we'll have to have the Everton Food Podcast special <laughs> next week when we're in the real depths of the international break. But 
lads thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for you all submitting your questions any that we didn't get through we will be back at the start next week and we'll go through a few more then if you've tuned in live on facebook thanks for watching you can join the royal blue podcast group on facebook and you can also follow us all on twitter we've been the royal blue podcast you've been listening to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo